Hello and welcome to Ice Age Prep Reads, Season 4, Magnetic Reversals and Evolutionary Leaps, The True Origin of Species by Robert W. Felix. This is Chapter 11. At the beginning, there's a quote from S. Warren Carey. Really, new trails are rarely blazed in the great academies. The confining walls of conformist dogma are too dominating. To think originally, you must go forth into the wilderness. Chapter 11 Hundreds of Thousands of Tunguskas The change was electric, as if a switch had been thrown in the cosmos. Hundreds of thousands of ear-shattering, radiation-spewing, nuclear blasts exploded around the globe as a fiery inferno raced across the heavens. Natural Nuclear Explosions Hundreds of thousands of Tunguska-sized pillars of fire and brimstone roared into the skies, unfolding layer upon layer of billowing mushroom clouds. Thick layers of deadly black fog encircled the globe, turning day into night and a nightmare. And in an instant, a night that lasted for years for the planet and forever for 70% of all living species. A dinosaur, Sodom and Gomorrah. If that blast over Tunguska was equal to 700 Hiroshima bombs, the KT disaster was equal to millions more. Underwater Explosions Explosions blasted upward from the bottoms of the seas, throwing great swaths of sea floor violently into the sky, along with billions of gallons of seawater and all of the animals in it, only to be pounded once again by other explosions reaching down from the clouds. That's how huge meteor craters like Chicxulub were formed from the inside out, blown outward by massive underground explosions. It looked like the end of the world, and for millions of helpless creatures, it was. Pulverized shells and shattered fish flew high into the sky, then fell back down to the ground in a grisly rain of fragmented splintered bones. That's how Denmark got its fish clays, blown outward by massive underwater explosions. Explosions on land sprayed millions of tons of dirt, trees, rocks, animals, dust, iridium, and anything else unluckily enough to be in the way, far into the sky, altering the landscape forever, leaving gaping holes in the ground to mark the violence. Volcanoes of a kind that we never knew existed. Explosions in the sky. Explosions reached down from the sky, flattening trees, pulverizing and scattering rocks and boulders across the landscape, sparking forest fires around the planet, infusing vast deposits of desert sand into the purest silica glass imaginable. Yes, fusing desert sand into glass. At least 1,400 tons of the purest natural silica glass ever found lie strewn across hundreds of square kilometers of the Libyan desert. Some chunks of glass are larger than bowling balls and weigh as much as 57 pounds. Interestingly, the glass is very rich in iridium. The sand from which the glass form had melted like sugar beneath a blowtorch said researcher Giles Wright. Streaks in the samples indicate that the glass had sizzled at thousands of degrees and flowed like a river for more than a week. Some scientists, of course, want to blame a meteor. But Dr. L.J. Spencer, member of a special expedition to the site in 1934, reported that no fragments of meteorites or indications of meteorite craters could be found. It seemed easier to assume, said Spencer, 
keeper of minerals at the British Museum that it had simply fallen from the sky. Most recently, when Vincenzo de Michel, keeper of minerals at Milan's Natural Museum of Natural History, and Romano Serra, an astrophysicist at the University of Bologna, made a thorough search of the site in 1996, they found the glass concentrated in two areas. One area is oval-shaped, while the other is a ring about 21 kilometers across and 6 kilometers wide. The area at the center of the ring is devoid of the glasses de Michel. The two Italian scientists theorize that heat from a huge explosion in the sky toasted the earth. The ground could have responded in an elastic way to the blast wave and rebounded, leaving a ring in a central peak which later eroded, says de Michel. Now, more than half a century later, the idea that explosions in the sky created an incredible amount of heat still appears to be the best explanation. As you might surmise, I think such explosions remain the best explanation for the dinosaur's demise. Einstein's theory applied. Explosions reached down from end Cretaceous skies as fusion reactions cascaded around the globe. In a startling but logical application of Einstein's theory, powerful implosions sucked energy from the cosmos, then used it to create new matter. Carbon, iridium, antimony, chromium, strontium, arsenic, osmium, selenium, you name it, clogged the skies, obscuring the sun for months, while glassy black tectites tinkled to the ground. Tectites, teardrops from the gods for all of the death and destruction. How can we deny it? We have billions of tons of tectites to prove it, and we have spikes in all of those elements, precisely at the KT boundary. What we do not have is a meteor. Creating new matter. Why go through all of these mental gymnastics trying to persuade ourselves that those elements came from some non-existent, non-findable meteor, when we already know that nuclear explosions can and do create matter? when we already know that newly formed carbon and metallic ions are raining to the ground this very second. That's how Mother Nature works. Sometimes it drizzles, sometimes it pours. Sometimes violent thunderstorms rage through the skies. And sometimes our everyday drizzle of carbon turns into a rampaging vicious storm. No longer measured by the ounce, it falls to the earth by the ton, flooding the entire globe. 10,000 times more carbon than normal. Boundary clays contain 10,000 times more carbon than normal. Did all of that carbon come from wildfires? No, it came from the sky, from a creation process gone horribly awry. The most damning evidence comes from Wendy Wolbach herself. The particle size distribution of the suit is similar to that assumed from the smoke cloud of nuclear winter, said Wolbach. No trace of meteoric noble gases and no meteoric spinal were found in these carbon fractions. Wendy was flirting with the truth and didn't know it. Scientists have also found other anomalies in Wendy's worldwide layer of soot. Some of the KT carbon formed at temperatures as high as 1,200 degrees C and is clustered in ways that could have come from hotter temperatures than would have normally occurred in a wildfire, said I. Gilmore in a 1992 article in Science. What could be hotter than a wildfire? Natural nuclear explosions. Tremendous oil catastrophe. Forget those meteor myths. That carbon was created in our very own skies. 
Millions of barrels of soot and oil hemorrhaged from carbon-sodden clouds to be swept by torrential rains into every swamp and low-lying spot in the world, and to the bottom of every sea. Then time worked its magic. During the ensuing millions of years, the soot and oil turned to coal, kerogen, asphalt, black shell, lignite, and tar pits. Earth, Colbin of the gods. Speculation? Yes. Fantasy? No. There's a place in western Cuba, the Universidad Formation, that contains huge quantities of asphalt. In some areas, entire banks of asphalt are found. In others, great masses of asphalt lumps lie around. The asphalt was deposited on the seafloor about 50 million years ago, said Bajoran Curtin in his book, How to Defreeze a Mammoth. It is clear evidence that a tremendous oil catastrophe occurred in the far distant past, said Curtin, a professor of paleontology at Finland's University of Helsinki since 1955. Naturally occurring asphalt is also found at Pitch Lake in Trinidad, the only known asphalt lake on our planet. Natural oil spills are a fact. Carbon from the sky. <clears throat> so is carbon from the sky. Your trusted teachers were wrong. Wrong when they told you that coal was formed in ancient swamps by the buildup of layer upon layer of decaying plants. Wrong when they told you that the layers had grown so thick and heavy that they had compressed themselves into coal. The fact is that no one really understands how coal is made. That coal was made in the swamp business is pure speculation and guesswork. The chemistry of coal is still not well under understood, said Carl Sagan in Parade. If coal is made of crushed vegetation, why does it so often contain no plant remains? For the most part, baffled scientists admit there are no macroscopically recognizable plant remains in coal. Coal in the Red Deer River Valley of Alberta, Canada, for example, contains very little conspicuous plant matter, said D.W. Gibbons in Geological Survey of Canada. Plant remains are found above the coal, plant remains are found below the coal, but almost no plant remains are found in the coal itself. Standing Trees None that is except for countless numbers of well-preserved trees and the roots along with the standing trees extending upward through the coal seams. Same in the Ukraine. The coal of the Donetsk Basin of the Ukraine contains fossilized tree trunks that extend through a coal seam from the carbonate rock below the coal to the layer above the coal. These fossils are coalified where they are within the coal seam and are not coalified where they are in the carbonate, said Thomas Gold in his 1987 book Power from the Earth. Parenthetically, this is not a new discovery. Charles Lyell mentioned trees standing in coal seams more than 160 years ago. If coal is made of decomposed plants, why didn't the trees and their roots decompose along with the other so-called plant materials? Because there weren't any other plant materials. That carbon was deposited on top of the trees. That carbon came from the sky. How else would we explain the locations of so many of the world's coal seams? Admittedly, most coal seams are layered between sedimentary strata, but many are not. Layers of coal have been discovered buried between layers of volcanic lave, most notably in southwestern Greenland, Peterson and Lamb. Other coal deposits, with no indication of sedimentary compression, 
have been found in New Brunswick, Canada, where the coal fills an almost vertical crack and extends downward through many horizontal sedimentary layers. Hitchcock. Brown coals and lignites have always refused to fit into the swamp believers theories. If coal was formed by all the weight above it, how do we explain the brown coals of Moscow? Moscow coals are so close to the surface, scientists grudgingly admit that there isn't enough material above them to have compressed them into coal. So how do they explain it? Brown coals and lignites must have been created through some special form of creation, they mumble, through some special form of genesis. You bet they were formed by a special form of genesis, natural nuclear explosions. Radioactivity in oil. Same with oil. No one really understands how oil is made either. It is suspected, suspected, says scientists, that natural radioactivity may be instrumental in oil formation. Let me repeat. Natural radioactivity may be instrumental in oil formation. Same with natural gas. The formation of natural gas, say scientists, may be due to radioactivity. Hey, maybe this natural nuclear explosion theory isn't so crazy after all. Natural nuclear explosions. Multi-layered, multi-colored fireballs bombarded the earth from ground zero to 600 miles in the sky. Imagine the mayhem. Stampeding in panic, vast herds of dinosaurs thundered across the plains, trampling each other as they strove to escape. They dove for cover in any rocky crevasse, burrow, or cave they could find. Plunging into rivers and lakes, over cliffs, under trees, under rocks, they tried to escape the crescendo of sound, a symphony of sorrow and death from the heavens. The ones that couldn't fit under the rocks, the ones weighing more than 55 pounds, were mostly killed instantly. Anything that survived must have been in a burrow or underwater, or very lucky, said Jan Schmidt of the Free University of Amsterdam. But were they really so lucky? Wounded and beaten, their world destroyed, their food supplies gone or contaminated, most were rendered infertile. The lucky ones lived to see their offspring born dead, or deformed, or mutated. Brand new creations. Creation. Creation, that's the operative word here. New types of animals soon appeared that had never before existed on the face of the earth to slowly recolonize a depleted planet. You see the same scenario after every mass killing in history. New forms of life immediately followed each extinction. Plants and trees were flattened and incinerated, but the roots and seeds exposed to massive doses of radiation soon burst forth in a twisted diversity of newly created genetic combinations. And why not? We engineer new plants in our labs every day. Shouldn't nature do it even better? It was not a scenario analogous to that of a neutron bomb. It was a neutron bomb, equivalent to the energy released by at least one billion Hiroshima bombs, said Alvarez. No, Mr. Alvarez, it was not equivalent to one billion bombs. It was one billion bombs. As much energy as would be released by five billion Nagasaki-sized bombs, about 26 bombs per square mile, said Olaby and Lovelock in The Great Extinction. No, gentlemen, it was not as much as 26 bombs per square mile. It was 26 bombs per square mile. 5,000, 5 million, or 26 bombs per square mile. It doesn't matter. What we need to know is what set those bombs off in the first place. How do you light a nuclear explosion? Electromagnetic forces. 
Almost every man-made fusion reaction on Earth, say physicists, is triggered by electromagnetic forces. And that's what we're talking about here. Electromagnetic forces run amok. Electricity ruled the world. Racing through the water at the speed of light, deadly currents of electricity transformed every ocean in the world into a vast conductor of death. Instant ionization flashed through the sea, sending billions of molecules into frenzied frantic collisions as electrostatic polarities reversed, breaking the ionic bond. Moons of lightning strokes danced through the heavens, slapping the world in the face, popping, sizzling, crackling, sparking like welding torches in the hands of the gods. They destroyed one form of life, then used the pieces to create another. Creation in the midst of destruction. Do we cry for the dead or do we cheer? Without those deaths, mutations, and new creations, we wouldn't exist. Finally, the bombing stopped. But the ground, littered with broken trees, twisted bodies, and shattered lives, had only begun to die. The worst was yet to come from that deadly radiation suspended in the clouds. Deadly radiation that would rain on the earth for months, if not years. Now we know why so many dinosaurs have been found twisted and contorted as if poisoned by some unknown toxin. Radioactive poisoning. Dinosaurs and uranium. Countless numbers of dinosaurs, far more than can be dismissed as mere coincidence, have been unearthed next to unexplained deposits of uranium. Where did that uranium come from, if not from nuclear explosions? And where does the uranium coal and coal come from? Yes, coal. Some kinds of coal, mystified scientists admit, contain huge amounts of uranium. Brown coals and lignites contain up to 0.1% uranium. By far the greatest human-made contribution to radioactive pollution is not leakage from the waste and cooling water of nuclear power plants, but uranium-rich plumes from the smokestacks of coal-fired power stations. Said the late Thomas Gold, a respected astronomer, and Professor Emeritus at Cornell University. Or consider the association between uranium, helium, and oil. Helium derives mainly from ongoing radioactive decay of uranium and thorium, said Gold, which might explain why helium concentrations in oil-bearing areas are often 100 times greater than a neighboring ground. 100 times greater? Where did that uranium come from? from a nuclear firestorm in the sky, from hundreds of thousands of Tunguskas. Our world, our expanding globe, was not created during some unknowable, unexplainable Big Bang. It was, and still is, being created by accretion, one tiny speck at a time, by millions of little bangs, all triggered by electro- <laughs> all triggered by geomagnetic reversals. In the beginning was the rotating electromagnetic field and that's the end of chapter 11 thank you for listening if you like this please let other people know about it i'll see you next time